<laughs> Nicely done. I didn't think you had it in you, and I mean that. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of A Thing Like That, a podcast about Mad Men. As usual, I'm your co-host, Mike Levito. And I'm your co-host, Kathleen Levito. I was going to say Kath Levito, but I am not Kath. No, you're not. Um, I had a recount to someone yesterday, the, the saga of my name going from Michael to Mike to Michael. Yeah. But whenever I say my full name, I usually say Mike Levito, because Michael Levito has a lot of L's back to back. Yeah, Kathleen Levito has a lot, too. And it sounds formal for a podcast today, anyway. Mike Levito rolls off the tongue better. But everyone calls me, most people, uh, yeah, most people call me Michael, anyway. Yeah. I'm more of a Michael than a Mike, I feel like, anyway. Yeah, you are. Yeah. I, I used to, in college, I called you Mike, because everybody called you Mike. And mm-hmm. I got made fun of for calling you Michael. You're like, oh, it's such like a sister thing to do. <laughs> and now I only call you Mike when I'm like referring, like if I'm like texting you, yeah. you know? Yeah. All right. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> talk about a show where there are no Mikes or Kathleen's. Uh, but lots of names ending in Y, especially if you're a female. <laughs> yes. I feel like that's that's in general in English-speaking world. Um, it's the diminutive form all ends in Y. Anyway. Um, Mad Men, we watched the episode Shoot, which is... Season 1, Episode 9. Um, what did you think of this episode? Let's see if I can remember what happened in this episode. <laughs> For uh, listener context, I'm having a weird moment. I just ate some peanut butter because I am like low on blood sugar or something. Um, this episode was good. I don't... Mm. I... Well, <laughs> to be honest, like, I have nothing against this episode. It's not like I thought, like, this was stupid because of this storyline or anything like that. It's just not one of my favorites. It's a Big Betty episode. It's Yeah, and I don't... I really... I just, like, <laughs> as the season goes on, I just get angrier and angrier yeah. that she continues to be a character. Well, as we'll discuss, I think it really sets up her sort of descent. Yeah. Um... Uh, and, and so I think it's, it's good in that perspective. Um, I think Don's storyline, like, I always find, like, the thing about, like, his contract kind of tedious. Yeah. And, like, not that interesting, so that's like, yeah. But, like, the rest of it's, like, it, I feel like this is, this is kind of like a, it's like a table-setting episode a little bit, where it's, like, it, it puts a lot of storylines into, into motion, but nothing, like, too momentous happens. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, it, it sets up. I think the trajectories for a lot of characters later on. Yeah, I would agree. And let's talk about how it does that. All right. Uh, this episode is directed by Paul Feig, um, which is crazy because he's like a big time Hollywood director now. He directed like Bridesmaids and Spy and. This reminds me after this episode, I have to tell you something. Or, yeah. Okay. Our mother asked me something that I had to share with you. Okay. <laughs> okay then. Um, shout out to the only person who listens to this podcast. Hi, um, mommy. <laughs> it was written by Chris Provenzano and Matthew Weiner. Um, it opens well. It opens with uh, the kids playing outside and Betty trimming a bush, and the, the guy who lives next door letting his doves fly free in the sky and waving at the Draper family. Um, but then we move on to a theater and Broadway, um, and it's during the intermission of Fiorello, and Don Draper runs into Jim Hobart who's the big boss over at McCann Erickson, which is sort of like, you know, the big leagues of advertising. They chat a bit. Jim basically was like, hey, you know, we, me and this other guy, 
we're talking about you at the New York Athletic Club, and you know you should uh, you should work for us basically. Then he leaves. Um, well, he doesn't leave. No. Then their wives show up. Don and Jim Hobart's wife go to uh, to the bar to get some drinks, which. By the way, never leave your wife alone, Don <laughs> Draper. This is a really bad idea. <laughs> um, but nothing happens in this instance because they're in a Broadway theater. Um, that would be soft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Jim Hobart starts talking with Betty Flair. She's like, oh, you know, are, are you an actress or something? She's like, oh, no, like I did model when I was younger. He's like, oh, hey, you know, we have this co-campaign going out. Um, you look a lot like Grace Kelly and you'd be perfect for it. So he gives her her card. Um and that kind of sparks most episodes Betty sort of like considering getting back into modeling she brags about this to Francine shows off the clothes she got to wear in Italy and talks about her relationship with a specific designer in Italy um Don um this episode is just constantly courted by Jim Hobart and McCann um he gets delivered a towel and a membership card from the New York Athletic Club from uh Hobart he calls Hobart Hobart offers him a three year contract for $35,000 um and just kind of like talks about the clients they have. Betty talks to Dr. Wayne about her mother, how concerned she was with physical appearance. Um, and Dr. Wayne's like, oh, like, you know, you're, you're angry at your mother for focusing on all this. And Betty's like, gets angry at him for that. Um, but here, and then when talking to Francine, recounts the story of how she met Don, which is she was a model at a fur company, or working for for company Don was copyrighted there and that's how they met and she never modeled again afterwards um meanwhile at Sterling Cooper uh, the team watches a Spanish language John F. Kennedy adds the famous one of Jackie Kennedy speaking Spanish telling voters to vote um and they kind of argue about you know why are they working on the Nixon campaign again they're not really getting paid for it um he seems like he's getting killed in the PR battle against Kennedy all this stuff um, later in Austin, Betty tells Don she wants the modeling do- job. Don's kind of like, eh, you know, this is kind of weird, but, like, I'm like, I can't stop you. Um, then the next day, it's Sterling Cooper, Peggy, who's gained some weight. She rips her skirt. And, like, a, <laughs> I, so I rewatched this scene today, and you can tell that they insert the tearing sound. And what they do is they have the side of her that gets torn like, that side never faces the camera before they show you the, her mm. torn skirt. And when she bends over, it's very clearly, like, ADR'd, like, the tearing sound. It, it's, it kind of goes back, reminds me of that, the scene where uh, Pete's, like, slumped and he's, like, getting chastised by Trivia, even though, like, Allison Brie Crillery was not in the room. It's that kind of a... You can tell they were on a little bit of a budget for the first season. Um, she rips her skirt. Joan offers uh, her a dress to wear for the rest of the day. Um... And later on that day, uh, oh, I totally screwed up my notes. I'm sorry about that. Um, basically what happens is uh, Roger brings in these golf clubs that were sent again from McCann to Don. And basically says, like, hey, Don, don't, uh, they try to, try to convince him not to take the job. All the meanwhile, like, Don's courting, being courted by McCann becomes the talk of the town in the office, as does Peggy's weight gain. Um... Meanwhile, Pete and Harry kind of, you know, commiserate in what they feel like is they're being, you know, sort of, they're shuttering off and they're, they're forced to work on laxatives and they want something more glamorous. But Pete concocts this plan um, that would help Nixon, which is that he wants to, of course, sell Nixon ads in swing states, but then he also wants to buy up other advertising space with laxative ads, which would essentially limit Kennedy's exposure via radio and other advertising avenues. 
I, was it that, or was it he was going to be on TV? Yeah, I think it was... And they bought all the ad space around him. I think TV and print, because then, because later on they're like, oh, Nixon, have, they, they have to put Kennedy's pretty face on radio, mm-hmm. which obviously doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and his terrible accent as well. Anyway. Um, so all that happens. Um, Betty does the, the, uh, the, the coke shoot. Um, they basically say, like, oh, yeah, this will be a few days' work. Um, and then, while she's away doing the coke shoot, uh, Bobby and Sally. Sally run outside while their babysitter is sleeping. They take the dog out with them, and as the neighbor lets out his birds, uh, Polly, the dog, bites one of them and almost kills it, and the neighbor threatens to shoot the dog if he sees it again. Um, pausing for those, for this really loud alarm my goodness anyway um so later that night sally has a bad dream she's like hey the neighbor said he's gonna shoot the dog don gets upset that betty wasn't around um they kind of have an argument about this uh uh don later on the day like cooper and sterling find out about this whole plot with the laxatives um, initially seem upset, but are like, hey, this is a genius idea, and Pete's all very satisfied about this. Um, and Don gets sent pictures of Betty at the Coke photo shoot, looks at them, and in that moment decides to call. Well, not in that moment. First he goes to Roger and is like, hey, I, you know, they basically hash out the terms of a raise, but I still don't want a contract because I want to do. I might because if I leave here, I'm not going to do advertising elsewhere, and all of that. And then Don calls Hobart and is like, "Hey, you know, I you you played kind of dirty here, and I don't like you very much." And then Jim Hobart's like, "Okay, fine, your wife's fired too." She gets taken off the campaign because they were looking for some of a more European feel, even though Jim told her she had a European face and this was an international ad. So obviously, because Don didn't take the job, but he doesn't get to keep it either. Um, so later that day, you know, everyone's hanging out, drinking, smoking, like you did in an office in the 60s, <laughs> and, uh, there are more snide comments made about Peggy's weight by Harry and, what's the guy's name? Ken, which upsets Pete, and then he fights Ken to defend Peggy's honor, but really his honor, uh, but we'll talk about that more. And then, uh, Don gets home, Betty's like, hey... Betty says that she doesn't want to model anymore, even though she actually did get fired. Don gives this whole very disingenuous speech about um, how her job is to be the perfect mother and she's better at that than anybody and all of this. The next day, Betty is just kind of in her robe all day, goes about her regular drudgery, and then uh, goes outside, and as the neighbor lets out the bird, she picks up Bobby's BB gun and starts shooting at them, much to the chagrin of the neighbor, and then the, the... the episode ends um yeah i i think i got up in the bathroom while taking those notes and i just forgot to finish them which is why i was a little off the cuff for a bit but anyway um what's the theme (laughs) that was like a shaky synopsis when it was really the easiest part of this whole podcast but kathleen what uh (laughs) What was the theme of this episode? <laughs> the theme is opportunity. It is. How so? Um, we see a, characters presented with all these different opportunities, and um, 
going about, you know, different... None of them actually take the opportunities when I'm thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes and no, I think. Other than Peggy. Um, no, I would say Peggy. Well, Peggy's whole thing, I think, is interesting, right? Because I think Peggy, she currently has an opportunity. The opportunity she was given was to do copywriting work yeah. and to become, as she says, the first girl since the war to do that in yeah. the office. Um, Joan interprets it differently, and she actually thinks that she's creating an opportunity to get close to Paul. Um and this causes sort of there, there's there's like a conflict in values there, right? Mm-hmm. And because and that that causes them to argue. Whereas Joan's like, hey, you gained a lot of weight. You're not going to meet a man if you're this, you know, because you gained weight. And and Peggy's like, screw you. That's not why I'm here. That's not why I'm doing all of this. Um, and so they're under they're like they're understanding what opportunities available to Peggy is very different. Joan, yeah. you know, five ten years older was given different opportunities than Peggy is right now. And that kind of folds into Betty's whole thing, right? Um, all of Betty's opportunity was given to her because she was beautiful. Yeah. Um, you and know. she talks about that with her therapist. Exactly, right? And it's funny because in the way that Joan is sort of like skeptical of Peggy's career goals, um, Betty's mother hated that she was a model. She says that, her mother called her a prostitute, right? And that she wanted Betty to be pretty because she wanted her to find a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, Betty's found a man. She's found a very handsome, successful one. Um, but now she feels like that she's sort of sealed the deal on that opportunity. She's out of opportunities, right? Yeah. That that window is kind of closed. And that and, was the only window. And it's completely unsatisfying. And she's like, what are you now? Smoke, let it go, and then just end up in a box? Like, she, she doesn't know what to do. She's, she's, she feels purposeless, basically. Um, and the opportunity to raise her kids is not enough for her. Um, not, that sounded judgmental, but that didn't mean to be. It's quite true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's nothing against the children. Mm-hmm. It's everything against her. Yeah, and, uh, and, and you know, that the, the window of opportunity, like, slam shut once Don decides not to take advantage of the opportunity to leave Sterling Cooper. Yeah. Um, Can we also back up for a second and go back to Betty for a hot sec? Because, mm-hmm. um, well, I guess we're still on Betty. But I was just amazed. To, like, She was like, oh, yeah, I was a model. She was a model for like a year, you know? Was she, though? She... She was a model in Italy and Manhattan. Okay. So that seems she like... She went to be... Italy after college. Yes. And she married Dom probably when she was 23 mm-hmm. and had her first child probably when she was 23. So she was a model for like a solid two years. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. She was still a model. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm like, but like, I'm not saying like, oh, she wasn't really a model. It's just like her career literally like started and then immediately stopped. Yeah. That's crazy. Which makes you understand her perspective where she yeah. might have fell short out of it. Um and then, it's, and then uh, it's sort of completely shorted out of it again, once I said, once the window closes. And the ironic thing is Don doesn't accept the McCann opportunity because he wants to keep his options and his opportunities open, right? He knows he'll be locked into a contract. Yeah. He knows that it will not be super glamorous and that, you know, he'll, it'll be a lot of, like, sort of dog work. And he, you know, wants, he says he wants the opportunity of, of you know, living life after Sterling Cooper and after his career there, right? He, he wants to, he doesn't want to stay cooped up in an office all day. He thought maybe he would someday, but now he doesn't. So by, and that, that's, that's really sort of his, 
his whole like life philosophy almost seems is keeping opportunities open and, and never like putting down roots which is in some ways I think a, a modern concept right despite his sort of conservative you know appearance he, he he is kind of he is restless right yeah and in some ways is more similar to like the younger people in his company than than he realizes or is willing to admit um even though he still has sort of retrograde notions of you know gender roles and and just in general like yeah yeah and it's an interesting if you look at where he came from in his past what we know about his past so far um clearly didn't really have much of a home life when he was growing up and clearly ran a way from his family after you know the army situation happened um so it's it makes sense we don't that, know that yet oh <laughs> uh, i mean but you're right yes that is, well that is we know he stole someone's identity yes yeah <laughs> so he he literally just steps into someone else's life he mm-hmm. he we know he walked out of his life mm-hmm. should i say that again so we can edit that part that's out? okay okay you don't have to <laughs> Um, it, they'll learn in like a few episodes anyway okay. if they don't already. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know. I lost where I was going with that. Um, yeah. So he's someone who knows how to be on the run. Um, someone who was never really settled. We learned more about his past later, and it wasn't a homey kind of situation. Um, so on one hand, his character could have taken the direction of "I will build and I will find roots." Clearly, he, he didn't. Yeah. Like, very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're going to understand why later on. But. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And um, there are the other opportunities in this is Pete and Harry seeing an opportunity to make waves at the company, right? Mm-hmm. And they take a bit of a risk in um, buying up all the C-Core relaxative space because it's not really been approved. Um, but it ends up paying off for them, right? They get commended for it. Um, and... And, and Pete's like, ah, I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty smart. Uh, the, but they do that while contemplating there's what they feel is like a almost promised, like an opportunity that hasn't been made good, right? Like they talk about college and how in college, you know, they had so much fun. Like who knew it would just have them talking about laxatives all day? But they were like, you know, in college, the opportunity seemed endless. Like not only was sort of like the opportunity career-wise, but it's like, you know, from socially like you know romantically like they they there were a bunch of all these girls at schools and they talk about that a lot and how there just seemed like there was just like yeah. an abundant they tell world. a story about like their frat yeah life, too where they're just like pulling pranks on people mm-hmm. and like nothing was serious you could do whatever you wanted there was mm-hmm. no consequences and you got commended for it yeah and then that kind of curdles in a way uh with the whole peggy thing um, because as much as Joan thinks that Peggy is robbing herself of an opportunity because of her weight gain, the way the men talk about it, they feel like they've been robbed of an opportunity mm-hmm. to sleep with Peggy, which is kind of gross. Um, but, you know, Ken laments that she is a piece of fruit that's gone, you know, ripened, but then went too bad too quickly. Um, the irony, of course, being that, and he says that and no one got to eat it. The irony, of course, is that Pete, you know has mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh that that sparks his, his outburst at and that that's this sort of like it, it, it's a weird thing that pete thinks on the one hand it is like he he does seem like he's standing up for peggy but he's also mostly it, standing up for himself mostly up for standing up for himself yeah. where like his sort of soul conquest other than his wife um is someone who's now considered undesirable right yeah. and so he's 
he feels like he's screwed up and he, yeah. he takes that out on others and it sort of like is playfully played with this idea of opportunity where he and Pete get in, he, not he and Pete, Pete and Ken get into a fight. Um, Paul pulls them apart and he's like, you two got in a fight that I was involved with. If you don't make up, like I don't stand a chance to make because he thinks that he's missing the opportunity to sleep with other people in the office because he didn't get into this sort of like manly bout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Opportunity. Opportunity. Anything else to add on the theme? Dun, dun, dun. Let me think of other. This is like I don't. There was like there's a lot that goes on in this episode, and it just. It, I'm not a plot person, <laughs> and so like the whole stuff like I didn't even realize until you said it that they give um, um, well um, Don is gifted a, cl- a club membership to the mm-hmm. Washington New York Sports New York Athletic Club. club. Athletic club. And I did it. There was something else I, I didn't realize. Um, I think this is for spoilers that I have to talk about this one. Um, yeah. Yeah. The other thing I will say is that with Pete and Opportunity, it's kind of interesting, right? Because he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, comes with this very wealthy family. And Roger and Don kind of talk about that after the whole Secor thing, where Roger's like, I can't promise you nothing good's going to happen to him. So for Pete, he's sort of. He'd been born into a life full of opportunity, mm-hmm. and he and he's he's still searching for that, and gets upset when it isn't just kind of handed to him. Whereas, and Roger was the same way, right? But even though Roger was the same way, he clearly resents that kind of ladder climbing and mm-hmm. that kind of uh, inherited wealth, basically. Yeah. Whereas Don was not that way, right? He had to kind of claw and scrap for everything he has. I think the thing is, Roger, his experience, he had to do his own ladder climbing in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had that blow of. Like humbling blow, mm-hmm. I think of being in a a world that is not, um, you know, so beautiful and so. Where his name meant nothing. Yeah, exactly. Where his name meant nothing, and where he didn't have the comforts of home either. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that uh, whatever his name is, Pete, Pete, ever had like a moment like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, um, ready to move on to our awards. Wait, let me think of. Oh, oh you no. mentioned. I think this was off mic, um, with the birds mm-hmm. and oh yes. So I'll ask you talk about that because it was your thing. Right. So the the, the birds the way I, so I think um, and this is kind of like the turning point for Betty right where uh, you know she sees these birds and they're all free and it's beautiful and blah 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 and her nickname is Birdie um, and she gets to see these birds let out of the cage and fly in the sky and there. You know, sky is literally the limit if you're a bird, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But towards the end of the episode, or at the very end of the episode, really, she um, becomes resentful of the birds, probably because of what the neighbor said to her daughter. But she goes out and she starts shooting at them in the sky. Um, And I think that is sort of like a key turning point in her outlook on life. Where, you know, before this in the show, we're like, oh, she's sort of like nice Betty Draper. She's like the perfect housewife and all of that, but now she's become resentful of the outside world and, and, of, and of sort of youth and freedom in a way. And that will be even further enforced when she f- sort of finds out about her, her husband's philandering and she finds out about, uh, well, really just that. And, and her, her approach to you know, her daughter and the opportunities her daughter will try and pursue and the opinion she'll develop and all of this. Um, and, you know, people 
who will take opportunities like I'm not going to spoil anything here but the man she meets at the stable and her friend and and how that relationship plays out um, and there are basically instances where she becomes her mother right she becomes this sort of like uh, disapproving voice of anyone who is not sort of prim and proper and I think her shooting at these these free carefree birds is the first step in that we see in the show yeah I think my only issue with not that discussion but the scene of her shooting at the birds is it's very out of character for her even of what we learn afterwards Mm -hmm. because she's never a she does spiteful things but she does them pretty quietly. Yeah. Other than, I mean, she slaps someone in the grocery store, but even then, that's like a petty move. That's a yeah. very like, you know, um, you know, she didn't like throw her on the ground or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's like a slap across the face. It's it's petty. It's girlish, you know. Right. And I think all of her moves moving forward are kind of childish, mm-hmm. um, even though she like really does disrupt some lives in doing it. It's it's selfish. It's you know. Um, yeah, just done, like, not, I mean, it's mean, but it's not cruel and it's not violent. Mm. And so her shooting at the birds and really taking her energy out on something that didn't offend her directly, because a lot of what she does is attack things that offend her directly. Um, I thought that was very out of character for her. Um, and she, it's like, that's something that she would never let anyone, like, she has to see that neighbor again. Mm-hmm. And no other circumstance where she let someone she has to see again see a side of her like that. Uh, so it's a cool scene, mm-hmm. but I could totally see like a show writer being like, oh man, this would be so awesome, yeah. I have to make her do this. But it's just like, unfortunately out of character, in my opinion. Yeah, and they do for like the visual too. Like yeah. it's an amazing visual. And like I almost, the, the image I use for this show is, is Pete holding the rifle above his head, but like I almost did that one, not for shooting of the sky, but... I feel like we find P more interesting than Betty, so it, and he says a thing like that, so so it makes it makes uh, it makes more sense. But yeah, it's also like not ladylike, right? Like yeah. her whole thing is she is on the surface very polite and proper, and she gets upset when people break what she thinks is sort of the proper set of behaviors, um, even though her perception of what's proper and what people should do is kind of warped. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now we're ready to move on to our awards? Yeah. All right, the Pete Campbell Memorial Worst of the Week. I had a tough time with this. I think I'm going to give it to Joan. Hmm, that's a good one. Or, like, McCannon. Yeah, I was thinking Jim Hobart and McCann. Yeah. Uh, so I, I had two. I had Jim Hobart McCann and just the weight shamers. The weight shamers. <laughs> right? Um, Jim Hobart, because he's, you know, he's not just... It's one thing to try and, like, poach a guy from another company. It's another to get his family involved, which is what he does. Yeah. And that's what upsets Don, really, right? Is that he isn't... He's, he's made it a family affair. He's tried to make it impossible for Don to say no. Um, and, and when they're done talking for the... But. <laughs> Little does he know that Don doesn't <laughs> care about anyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, at, towards the end when they're talking, he's like, oh, well, it's a shame to lose both of you. Like, you can tell that, like, he was like, oh, I'm going to say that. And he's going to be like, what, you're not going to hide? You're not going to keep Betty on? Yeah. But it, it never comes to fruition. Um, and the way Chambers, for obvious reasons, they're super mean to Peggy. Um, and, you know, the men who wait Chamber treat her as just some, like, a plaything. Mm-hmm. And Joan just kind of belittles her intelligence and drives. 
Yeah. My, I would say the weight chippers as well. I felt like that was so obvious, though. Um, like, not in a bad way, but right. I was like, what other, like, creative ones? Are? Like, like people who were just as nasty, but in different, less obvious ways. But Joan, as, like, a woman, as a woman, you don't go up to another woman and be like, yo, if you want to, like, have an okay life, you mm. need to change the way you look. That's not what you do. Mm. Um, and I know it's a different era, but it's just not okay. Um, we now live in the era of, like, drunk girls in bathrooms hyping each other up <laughs> about, like, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Like, um, if you've seen the movie Book Smart, like, mm. the way that the two friends in that interact when they see each other all dressed up, mm. that is, like, the era we are in. Um, so just, I was just like, really? And I like Joan later in the series. So I was just like, I hate that you started out in the snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the most, like, condescending thing a person can say about another person is, like, she would be so pretty if, yeah. right? And that's that's basically Joan's entire character in this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Kind of not great. Um, uh, so the Roger Sterling Memorial best quote of the week. I have two. Um, so I, I have a favorite scene. Okay. I think I know what it is, but I'll start off my two yeah. quotes. The first is Pete when he's talking with Harry about Lex. He goes... Secret laxatives. You know, I have to talk to those people. They're not what you not what you would expect. They have absolutely no sense of humor about their product. And then, of course, there's Roger when he is congratulating Harry and Pete about their scheme. And he goes, I, th- he goes, I didn't think you had it in you. I really mean that. <laughs> I think Roger takes the cake on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um... What she always does, which is this is when we were talk when you were talking earlier before about like some scenes that were just like not like low like this isn't a low budget scene, but it's definitely a scene that they put in there because they knew it was gonna be funny. Mm-hmm. But when um, Ken and Pete get into the fight, yeah, uh, like <laughs> the camera backs up. And Don and Roger step in front of the camera. Yeah. And Don's like, or Roger goes, drop you at the train. And Don's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> As there's just chaos erupting behind them. It's, they just yeah. walk away. Yeah. And it reminded me of something else, like another scene from a, a, mo- a different movie. Um, but I just can't remember. And, and I won't remember, okay. so. Well, maybe we'll, we'll update you next episode. <laughs> I'll just uh, watch a bunch of movies. <laughs> yeah, with, with fights in them. Uh, move on to foreshadowing? Yes. Okay. Uh, do you have any off the top of your head? Yeah, Peggy's pregnant. Yes. We've discussed this a lot. Yeah, yeah. But now it's, like, it's showing. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like, I think that when I was watching this season the first time, I must have still, like, not been paying that much attention because there are a lot of things I realized that I missed. And mm-hmm. I even just forgot but missed. And one of them is the fact that she's pregnant. And I remember the episode that they announced she is pregnant. Um, I was like, oh, she looks, like, heavier. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember. I was just like... Are they dre- like are they costuming her differently? I'm like because this is not how she came onto the show, so I thought it was like a costume thing, um, and it was, but like for a different reason. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, there there are a couple couple big ones here. So 
Betty again. She doesn't shut up about Italy. She talks about Italy yeah. again. Well, she mentioned she was a model in Italy, yeah. so it's relevant. Of course, Don and Betty mm-hmm. will end up going to Italy later in season three, I think. Um, Betty later has to become the voice of reason for a friend of Sally's who wants to run away to the village. Mm-hmm. Um, and Betty says, I was a model. I lived there. I know mm-hmm. what it's like. You don't want to, like... Yeah. Says her, she says it's harsh and that her mother hated him. Yeah. Um, the idea of Betty going back to work is something she will end up poo-pooing later on, even though she will eventually go to study. She talks to Francine, who's become like a realtor. It's like, oh, I just think there's too much to do, and even though my kids have gotten older, there's still too much to do. And then, but of course, later on, she will go to school to try and get a psychology degree, ostensibly, so she could work. Mm. She talks about smoking and ending up in a grave. Yeah, in a box, which is what happens to her. Literally, what happens? <laughs> she seals to her. her fate. Um, she's working on the Coke campaign, and Coke, in really the last season, will become kind of this holy grail for mm. Don Draper. It's what it's the brand that Jim Hobart later on, which by the way, Jim Hobart being a big foreshadowing thing, he's still out in the can mm-hmm. when when McCann buys Scarlet Trooper Draper Price, Chow, blah blah blah. You know when it becomes really long. It's so when he bites all of it, and he he names um, all these basically these these firms to get people excited. And the last one is Coca Cola, as he says, and that piece sounds interesting. Of course, the last scene of the series implies that Don writes the famous you know uh, love ad for Coca Cola. Don talks about wanting to travel after mm-hmm. he's done yep. with Sterling Cooper, and he does mm-hmm. um, end up doing a lot of road tripping. Yeah. Um, Betty tells a story about how Don was a copywriter at a fur company. Um, we know that's not entirely true because we will see a flashback that details the origins of Don and Roger's relationship where Roger goes to this fur store to buy fur for Joan, um, and Don is selling the fur. He also happened to write an ad, um, but it's that, you know, it, it basically is a clue to his origin. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they do a, f- Sterling Cooper does a fur ad at some point. Yes, they do. What do they? They do. And I f- it's when they're first doing television, like producing themselves. Mm. And I don't remember, I, I remember the scene, but I forget if there's like a key player in it, but I very much remember the scene hmm. and I, for, I yeah interesting um I don't remember that. it's like not a big deal yeah but they do oh yes I know what you're talking about yeah yeah okay um what else do I have here uh Roger mentions how McCann is publicly traded uh the gold against Sterling Cooper Draper Price publicly traded later on to to finish all that IPO stuff would become a big plot point that eventually never doesn't happen because of someone's malfeasance um, Betty talks about how her mother's very concerned about looks and weight and how Betty likes to eat. She will gain a lot of weight in the latter seasons and then lose it. Um, the play they go see on Broadway is called Fiorello. It's about Fiorello, Fiorello LaGuardia, who was mayor of New York. Betty's second husband, Henry Francis, will work for uh, John Lindsay, who is mayor of New York at the time of the show. Um, Pete talks about how he doesn't question the wishes of their clients when he gets an argument with Don about the Nixon campaign, which foreshadows Pete sort of siding with the clients, especially Jaguar and all these shady car companies 
when it comes to issues like basically pimping out Joan and things like that, he's very... The way he sort of buys approval is by appealing to the client instead of the firm. And then I think for some reason my favorite foreshadowing, this is the first of four fights we will see Pete get into. Um, there's this fight. There is uh, the fight he has on the train with the guy who's married to Alexis Spidell's character, mm-hmm. um, which is also another fight that's ostensibly defending the honor of a woman. Um, there's the fight he has with Lane, of course. Which is the best fight. Yes. And then there is, he punches the guy at the private school that they're trying to get his daughter Tammy into, mm-hmm. but he denies her application because she is a Campbell and like their families had some feud going back to like colonial days. That's all I have for foreshadowing. That's all I have. Okay. final thoughts no i'm glad we're done with this episode (laughs) (laughs) not a fan i'm not a fan no it's good i think i love it has i think one of in addition to the rifle shooting it does have like a favorite shot of mine which is when they're doing the 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 photo shoots for the coke commercial are really creepy and i think that's like why sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but i think that's why this episode drives me insane is because i cannot stand betty I can't even appreciate her as a character. Um, and it's like that photo shoot is everything that's awful about the character. Like, so fake, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It frustrates me so much. Yeah, fake. And then it's like, it's interesting because you notice she's with a male model and then two, like a boy and a girl yeah. model, right? It's, it's They're recreating the Draper family, but it just kind of like reinforces how the Draper family is this sort of like, they're models of like the perfect American nuclear family, and yet how artificial it all really is. Yeah. Um, and but but I love the scene when they tell her that you know she's not going to have they're, they're not going to go forward with the campaign um, and she's like okay and then all these people come to like decostume her and she's just kind of like crying to herself it's like it's so like grand and like sumptuous and like clamorous but also like very sad it's this very sort of like you know combination of moods that I that's a really good I really scene. appreciate um, the other Betty point I had it was interesting in Mad Men Carol so Matt's lower sites there's a footnote about the difference between, like, Grace Kelly and Audrey Hepburn and how, um, you know, Grace Kelly was American, Audrey Hepburn was European, and how, like, you know, um, I'm going to screw this up because it's, like, one of them came from sort of a poor family and all of that, whereas the other came from a more established family, and how that kind of plays into the whole Betty thing. Um, I totally just screwed that up, though. Maybe I'll cut that out. Because <laughs> okay. I, I forget which was which and, and how it made sense. Um, but yeah, look it up, dear listener. Um, thanks for listening. As always, I'm Mike Levito. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at mlevito. Uh, on Letterboxd as Adam Mara Mike. I'm Kathleen Levito. I'm Kathleen Levito. That's who I am. And you can find me on Instagram at Rise to the Sun. I post poetry every single day. And you have your poetry compilation. I have my poetry compilation that has been out for a week now. It's called Coming Ashore. You can find it on risetothesun.com, which I also just restyled today, so it looks pretty. Um, and then let me think if I have anything. I cut this coming. I don't know when this podcast is going up, but so probably by the time this podcast goes up, I'll have another compilation of everything I've posted in the past six months. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, you, we have another podcast called Real Life Oscar Challenge that we host with my roommate. 
Uh, you can find that in the same place you can find this podcast, which is SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe, follow us on all those platforms. We contribute to a website called The Post Rider. Read our stuff on there. I'm going to post very shortly an article I wrote about Billie Eilish and Vampire Weekend and just justify why I've been listening to their albums a lot recently. Um, that is all I have. All right. Cool. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.